Uh, this is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM and today is such a delightful day because I speak, I get to speak yet again with the one and only Pierre Dulaine who this time is in New York. Pierre, ahla wasahla. Ahlan wasahlan. Thank you very much for having me on. Wallah, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> Habibi, you are almost family because you've been on the show before. Of course, you were at the time a uh, guest on the uh, Arabic version of So You Think You Can Dance. Yes, that's correct. There's been, a, I think, it's been like a couple of years now. Huh? Yeah, Time yeah, passes by so fast. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, we need a, we need an update. <laughs> Every, uh, with you, Pierre Dulaine, we have to keep up because uh, really the the reason uh, I, I I'm so delighted to speak to you today is this amazing book that you've written that has just been published called Taking the Lead: Memoir of a Dancing Life. So, Pierre, let me begin just by asking why now. And why did you decide to write this book now? I was thinking about it for a while, but uh, my editor, who was a former, who is a former student of mine from my dancing classes, and I started it in 2011, slowly, you know, sending him sending him the information and slowly getting it out together, etc. So it's been taking a while, but uh, we decided that this year was the right year because it was also the 10-year anniversary of the movie that was inspired by my life, and the movie was named Take the Lead with Antonio Banderas, playing yours truly right. and so uh, it's it was uh, the correct time if you want to use that expression and we're very glad of it because uh, the success of dancing classrooms alone merits a book not to mention all the other activities and the charities that you've been involved with uh, Pierre was it difficult to sit and sort of write your or recall your own story I have to just a quick I'd let you know a quick answer it's very very cleansing hmm. uh, you know to to write down your memories from the you know from the past of course I'm, I'm the type of person that looks forward in life I really don't look backwards so much uh, I don't think oh I remember five years ago I did this or two years ago I did that no 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 I really uh, what am I gonna get up and do next what's my next project is my philosophy for me personally so for me to sit down and uh, write down my memories of, of my life was really quite quite wonderful I have to say I enjoyed it and uh, because I am not the writer I sent the information to Robert Morton my editor uh, he kept on coming back to me well okay now what was the color of her hair what was the color of the blah 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 mm-hmm. what in the, I need more I want you I want to get your voice in it not me just take the information and write down what I think he wanted me so much to write down my own feelings of the moment and with that in mind having to go back in time to those feelings and inner feelings was as I just said a moment ago quite quite cleansing and wonderful I feel very very proud of it and certainly the book celebrates all these amazing achievements but at the same time Pierre I mean you kind of don't shy away from delving into your uh, your life in terms of uh, being uprooted several times by political and military unrest from homes in the Middle East Uh, you kind of take us through that journey which uh, wasn't exactly the easiest. 
No, correct. And I mean, the one thing, I mean, uh, you're calling me Pierre and I went to French schools and I'm, I grew up in Jordan. We were, uh, you know, we let, we were, how say, uh, had to leave Palestine in 48, part of the Nakba. And uh, we went to Northern Ireland where my father is from. My mother is Palestinian Catholic. My father is uh, Irish and Protestant, very, very Protestant. And of course, in the book, it says about my, uh, my father's family not making a feel welcome so he was they were telling my father well she's uh, Palestinian she's Arab she's Catholic send her back hmm. and so so it, they said no way of course so we all went and and grew up in Amman in Jordan and this is where I went to French school but uh, all of this upheaval really if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger and I feel all the better for it from that point of view and yes I go into my my uh, my background my life etc I then I then I go into my adult life mm. and um, and of course the dancing classrooms that I created in 1994 etc but yes it's it was it was wonderful to go and uh, tell people first of all like I was christened Peter Gordon Heaney. Now, not many people in uh, in the public world, privately people, know that I am Peter. I was Peter. But since I was 20 years old, I uh, created the name Peter is Pierre in French uh, to Pierre Dulen. So people think I am, uh, how you say, uh, I'm French yeah, or yeah. part French. And I used to say that at the beginning because I didn't think I would get approval of people around me if I said the word Palestine. That would that did not seem to be such a a politically correct word. But you know, things have changed now. We know we know there is the West Bank. There is a Palestine state, etc. So uh, I am half Palestinian and half Irish. And that's the thing, Pierre. I mean, you you changed your name for several reasons, uh, in, but you you've never really shied away from the fact that your mother is Palestinian. Uh, she's she's from Safad, isn't she? Yes, her name is Safadi. Yes, yes, exactly. Her father, uh, you know, Younes Safadi, um, had come down from the northern part of then Palestine, Safad, to, to Jaffa because there was no work. And of course, uh, as he, and I know you know this, and I'm sure maybe now the your audience will know this, that people get named uh, from where they came from. You came from Safad, you're a Safadi. Mm-hmm. Uh, your name is, uh, you know, you are working in the iron business, you're a Hadad. <laughs> Or, or, you know, this type of thing. So it, it was changed for, you know, for that, I think. Uh, but, but there's no such thing as Dulaney. No, no, no. Like no. no, no. The, the Dulan, actually, a friend of mine in, uh, when I was 20 years old, I went to work for the Arthur Murray Dance Studio and I wanted to be just named Pierre. But, you know, Pierre, they, uh, they did not allow me, they had to have a surname, a last name. And Pierre Heaney, uh, which is spelled H-E-N-E-Y, uh, just did not, did not sound correct. So a friend of mine and myself, you know, sorted out, made the name of Dulen, making it two syllables like Pierre Dulen, that the English people can pronounce when they see it. And if they hear it, they can write it. And I'm happy to say I have both names in my passport. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. Pierre, I mean, you were born in, in Jaffa in, in 44. And, uh, you know, 48 was the uh, establishment of the state of Israel. 
Israel, and it seems to me that you were born during a tumultuous time, and that you know the uh, uh, following years were also difficult in terms of trying to find a home. One of the things I want to really go back to is this idea that uh, a Palestinian Catholic mother was problematic for uh, the family of your father, which was uh, Irish Protestant. Yes, I honestly, sincerely love my father. Uh, unfortunately, they both passed away now, but I love my father because he was not like that. He loved my mother for what she was, for what she is, and um, and went against his family's wishes uh, because uh, that's where his heart was. He did not see, uh, how you say, uh, a religion. He did not see ethnicity. This is what he wanted, and, and, and he went for it, and he was a wonderful human being. For that, I love him. Allah okay, Thank you. Uh, so, uh, do you have any memories of Jaffa when you were born, or were you too young when you left? No, no I have no idea. I was born on April 23, and we left in May, just a few weeks afterwards. So, I was just I just turned four years old. But what I do, funny enough, remember just in my back of my mind, you know, is my grandfather, my mother's father, had a big bush of white hair, and uh, that I don't, I don't remember anything else. I just remember his thick bush of white hair, Eunice. But he died, I believe, in uh, in forty-seven before mm. the Nakba happened. Yeah, Eunice Safadi. Yes. Allah That would be your maternal uh, grandfather. And so, uh, I mean, what? What was your Irish father doing in what was then Palestine uh, in 1944? Uh, he came from a reasonably middle to upper class family, and uh, he had been uh, assigned by the army to go there in the middle 30s, part of his army duties. And then the World War II uh, breaks out, and so he uh, he was positioned to go to again to Palestine because he loved. I love my father because of that. He loved the Middle East. So somehow he was stationed there with the British Army. And uh, when the British Army had to leave, uh, a little bit before we left, of course, in the end of 47, we left in 48, when the, when all of the problem, the bigger problems started to occur in then Palestine for the formation of Israel, um, he was now working with the Palestine police because he wanted to stay there. And uh, we had orange groves and different things that he wanted to stay then after the Nakba uh, to uh, to have import-export to export oranges. But of course, that never happened. And so we had to leave very, very quickly, just like refugees, like a millions, like what, 700,000 other people. So we were glad to say that we left. And, and he met your mother there then. Do you, do you know how so, they met, uh, Pierre? Very much so. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, say that in my book, as a matter of fact. God, you're getting the whole book. No, there. no, no, we're not. We <laughs> just want the love story that uh, got to create uh, Pierre Dulaine. <laughs> no, 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 this is wonderful. Thank you for asking. There is a famous uh, supermarket store there was then and there is now in Amman and I believe in Beirut in Lebanon a place called Spinney's where uh, it was a high-end uh, you know s- uh, supermarket etc where the Brits went to shop you know because they were they had foreign foods or British like food or European food and so my mother and her sisters uh, they were uh, educated at St. Joseph uh, school you know a Catholic school where and they spoke three languages so they used to shop there as well and wouldn't you know they met 
over there. And slowly they got to know each other. My father apparently comes, visits the house, and eventually asks her father, my grandfather, for her hand if he could at least, uh, you know, take her out. And slowly from there an engagement happened. And from there the marriage happened, etc., etc. But they initially met in Spinney's. Wow, wow. Uh, uh, the marriage of a Palestinian woman, your mother, and uh, and your dad, uh, an Irish uh, uh, gentleman in uh, in what was then Palestine. In, in was it in Jaffa? It was in Jaffa, very much so. Yeah, Jaffa was the main was the main city. Tel Aviv was for the new coming, for the Jewish settlers coming in. Uh, but Jaffa was the main city, and I know you know this. It's I think one of the two oldest ports. In the world, like seaports in the world, that and Jebel in Biblos in Lebanon. So uh, that was part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, Pierre, the, the question that's on everybody's mind is, uh, did you know that you were destined for a career in dance? And uh, when you were a child, you know, around that time, taking you back to that time, uh, did you envision um, the successes that you would later achieve? No way. No way. I mean, I grew up in Jordan. I used to be an altar boy at Collège de Frères, the Saint Jean Baptiste de La Salle College, with the with the monks, and I used to be an altar boy every single morning serving mass before school. So I was a very devout Catholic, and at one time I wanted to be a monk like my teachers. Wow. <laughs> From that point of view, like in, living in Jordan, we didn't have dancing. Uh, the only the very first time I remember the word dancing was when my father and mother were invited to be at King Hussein's first wedding because my father then in Jordan was working with UNRWA which is the United Nations Welfare Relief Agency created for the refugees of Palestine so um, they were in being being part of the, the UN or UNRWA being British he was invited for the wedding with Queen Dina uh, then uh, so that's, they came back one night and uh, they had been dancing I never knew what dancing was you know I know what the Dabke was and what the Arabic music is but you know growing up in Amman but uh, but basically that's all it's not till I came to, to England at the age of 14 uh, in Birmingham in the Midlands of England uh, that I heard a school friend of mine talk about dancing and I said what's this what's this and she said well you should come with me to this uh, Jean Johnson school of dancing and it was just like a hundred yards away from where I lived on the main road and that's where, where that was the first time I actually heard about it and actually tried it out and you loved it and something stirred something stirred now I have to also say that coming to England uh, speaking uh, English with a foreign accent one must remember I was taught English by French and Arabic uh, by, by Arabic speaking uh, teachers I spoke with an accent although we, we could only speak English at home French at school and Arabic on the street but my English accent was not so British so I was made fun of I had broken my tooth when I was six seven years old in Amman and and uh, so uh, I would not smile. I was very shy. I was very timid. And then discovering dancing for me was, wow, I could be, uh, you know, it took me somewhere. It took me somewhere else. Uh, and so this was in uh, in Birmingham at this point. Yeah, Birmingham in England. Yes, in the UK. And from there, of course, uh, I don't want to give uh, give away the book any more than I already have. But, <laughs> you know, this journey, which eventually led, of course, to you being world champion ballroom dancer, uh, when, when you think 
think of that moment when you think of uh, all your hard work and, and your journey and arriving to that point, Pierre, today, how do, you, um, how do you reflect on that and how do you come to terms with such amazing successes? You know, if, if one thing somebody can take away uh, from, let's call it my story, uh, is the fact in believe in yourself. To, uh, to really go after what you think you want to do in life. If you want something artistic, money should not be the object. If you want to go out and make money, then go and make money. But I really wanted to dance, and that's all I knew. And you, and you then find a way of working hard, find a way of finding teachers, and then, of course, for ballroom dancing, finding a partner, and voila. And I had my first big success at the Royal Albert Hall in London at the thing called, at the International Championships, something called like a halftime show, the Duel of the Giants. And my then partner and myself uh, won that evening on the audience's applause. And I never looked back since. I was 22 years old, 21 and a half, 22 years old. So it was, uh, that was the very first big step. That's when I tasted success. Yeah. And then I didn't go, I didn't and go back it just went forward from there and and your career as a dancer i mean i think we all know that as as dancers um uh, your career is sort of um, you know limited by age at a certain point but you decided to create uh, a new career and a new path uh, in terms of establishing dancing classrooms and i would love it if you could sort of introduce our uh, listeners to the concept of dancing classrooms let me uh, preface that by saying you could find more information at uh, dancingclassrooms.org. But how did that idea come about? I believe any good ideas that come to fruition, it uh, needs to be organic. And I can honestly say this was organic because it started with me personally. As I said before, I was shy, I was timid, I discovered dancing, and um, I then suddenly had confidence in myself. I walked straight, my head was held up high, I became somebody, I believed in myself. So wind that forward to my now being in New York and wanting to give back to society. I did not, uh, how you say, um, go to university, I could dance. So I decided to volunteer my time uh, in a New York City state school, or what they say, New York City public school. And the children sort of eventually liked it. I loved it. And that was the seed that really started dancing classrooms. From there, I found teachers to teach uh, what I what, what has become known as the Dulane method or how to work with children. I formed, uh, I say, a syllabus. Um, I taught them the syllabus, taught them the curriculum, and then went into schools. And I'm really glad to say like 23 years ago, 20, yeah, yeah, but 23, 24 years ago, dancing classrooms has now, in New York City, we are in over 200 schools. We're in about 25 or 26 cities around the country and in five other countries. And today, We've, we've taught over 600,000 children the Dulane method or in dancing classrooms. Mm, and sure. as you said, it is dancingclassrooms.org. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, teaching children respect and compassion, tolerance and manners for life through the practice of dancing together. Two is spelled T-W-O, together. Yeah, Beautifully yeah. put. Exactly right. Thank you, Ramsey, for saying that. That's exactly what it does. I am now uh, working alongside uh, 
the, our office. I'm retired, supposedly, but I still go in and visit schools, visit the children. I was in a school today, this morning, in the far reaches of Brooklyn, watching them. And you know what? I have to say, I was so thrilled. In the class, there were there was a boy and a girl, twins from they were their parents were born in Palestine. Part of our program, because it is a how you say a curriculum based and it's a social development program, we ask the children to uh, to write their feelings, to write what they think about dancing, to write about their own version of dancing. And these two, Mustafa and Amira, have Palestinian parents, and they both wrote about the Dabke, <laughs> <laughs> which is of course uh, a traditional. Uh, Lebanese or Arab dance. Yes, exactly. So it was wonderful. And I met them and I was, and so I, I sang for him, Ya Mustafa, Ya and embarrassed him for the whole class. Habibi. So uh, this, is, this is part of the reason I love this book. Um, very, very good read and uh, highly recommended here called Taking the Lead, Memoir of a Dancing Life by Pierre Dulaine, who I'm, I have the pleasure of speaking to. Uh, Pierre, um, uh, before I end the first part of our interview here, I just wanted to talk about the part where perhaps uh, global attention came to dancing classrooms. And that was uh, through uh, the film Dancing in Jaffa. And what you did in terms of returning full circle to the city of your birth, Jaffa, and uh, doing the impossible. Can you tell us what you did? Yes, of course. As I said a moment ago, over 20 years I've been doing the uh, the dancing classrooms in New York City and it went across around the country and around different countries. And I always felt I would like to give a gift uh, to the children of Jaffa, to the actual children of Jaffa in memory of my mother, in memory of me being born there, let's say. And of course, there was a lady by the name of um, Miri Shahaf Levi, who lives in Netanya, in the northern part of Israel now. And she had seen our first big uh, documentary called Mad Hot Ballroom about dancing classrooms here in New York City in Washington Heights. She loved it. And she came and met me in New York and asked if I would go and teach, have the program in Israel. I said, uh, yes, of course, with pleasure, but only if I can bring Palestinian Arab Israelis and Jewish Israeli children together, where she did not realize I was born in Jaffa. Mm. She, her eyes lit up, her ears opened up, and we stayed in touch. And a few years later, in 2011, I was there, and uh, this dream came about. There, I did. I worked with five different schools in Jaffa itself with the Jaffa children, uh, Muslim children, and uh, and uh, Christian children and Jewish children, and brought them all together in what we call the Colors of the Rainbow Team Match at the end of the course, of the 20-lesson course. And um, it was, I really, I tore my hair out at the beginning. I <laughs> taught them at the beginning in their respective schools. And of course, I think you and your listeners will know, Ramsey, that, um, you know, for the uh, Muslim community, it's not the regular taken for granted thing that uh, boys and girls dance together. It's not part of the culture. So that was a very difficult step to, to overcome. 
But because I was Palestinian and I speak Arabic, not that perfect Arabic, but I speak Arabic fairly enough, fairly good enough, with a Palestinian accent, uh, the Palestinian people, uh, families trusted me. It was a gift I was giving their children. And then, one, funny enough, one of the uh, fathers of a girl uh, really did not want his daughter to dance. So I met with him, spoke to him one on one, face to face, and I explained to him that, uh, you know, for his daughter to dance, her confidence will grow. She'll be, she will act like a lady. Her grades will improve in school. And bless his heart, he was the best spokesman for me. Wow. He turned the other parents around. Now, with the Jewish families, of course, they wanted their children to dance. But to dance with the dirty Arab, with the enemy, that was a very, very difficult step for me to overcome. But... We did it. Yeah. They agreed because uh, having met the principals and the classroom teachers, we all got together. And the very first session that I did with them bringing the schools together, oh la la, was really, really difficult for me. I was tearing my hair out. <laughs> but I understand. I understood where they were coming from. But slowly and surely, we got them together. And it finished with a wonderful big competition with all of the children dancing together in teams. And um, the wonderful, the even better now is that this lady, Miri Shahaf Levy, is continuing with the program. She is now in Haifa, in the Arab schools, in the Galilee, in Cholon, in Jaffa, Tel Aviv. I mean, in Batyam, in many, many places in Israel, she has grown so much with the program and bringing the Arab-speaking children and the Hebrew-speaking children, the Jews and the Palestinian Israelis, all to dance together for a culminating event. So I'm really thrilled that uh, the film was made but even more so that the program is continuing. We need peace on this world. Yeah, and I can't, I can't recommend this film uh, highly enough. Uh, Dancing in Jaffa is the documentary that sort of follows that journey that Pierre is describing in his book, Taking the Lead Memoir of a Dancing Life, as well as the film. The film, again, is Dancing in Jaffa. I believe it's available on Netflix, and it is one of the most uh, inspiring journeys I have ever witnessed on film in terms of uh, what Pierre Julien had to face uh, in the beginning, and uh, I won't give away the ending, but it certainly gives us hope. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Ramsey. Thank you. Pierre, when I return, I'd like to uh, talk about one more aspect, uh, one more marginalized aspect of your existence, perhaps. Uh, and uh, I'd love to do that in the second part of my interview. I'm speaking to Pierre Julien right here. His book, Taking the Lead, Memoir of a Dancing Life, is available now in print. It's gorgeous with pictures. And uh, Pierre, where, where can people order the book? I think from my from my own website is the best place I can tell you, uh, which is pierredulane.org. Right. www.pierredulane.org. In fact, I'm looking. I'm looking at your website here, Pierre, uh, uh, and and uh, it's very easy to purchase the book through the website. Uh, you're you're even giving away signed copies. Yes. Wow. Yes. Message me, uh, and I will. You know, when they order the book, they can say who would I who would they would like to have it inscribed to, and add that name, and I will do that immediately, for sure, with pleasure. Ah, PierreDulaine.org, PierreDulaine.org is the place to purchase this new book, as well as read some of the reviews. It's gotten rave reviews. I am very proud of you, Pierre. And when I return, I'd like to talk to you about one more aspect here of your uh, journey. 
Most jazz musicians, being essentially freelancers, have no medical benefits. They get no sick pay, they have no retirement pensions. Luckily, when illness strikes, musicians can turn to the Jazz Foundation of America. Since 1989, JFA has helped hundreds of aging and ill musicians with medical expenses, rent supplements, and other assistance. It was founded by musicians for musicians and supports itself through jam sessions and donations from the jazz-loving community. If you would like to help support the Jazz Foundation of America, please call 1-800-532-5267, or you can visit them on the web at www.jazzfoundation.org. I am back uh, with the one and only legendary ballroom dancer and champion, Pierre Dulaine, who, uh, in addition to having had several films about him and by him out there, has just published an amazing book called Taking the Lead, Memoir of a Dancing Life. The book is available at uh, pierredulaine.org. And uh, we've been talking, Pierre and I, about the uh, journey that led him to the uh, writing of this book, a journey he you called cathartic, Pierre. Yes, very, very much so. You know, it was really very, very cleansing. But there's also another level that I would like to discuss, which uh, is very courageous. It's another kind of coming out in this book, and that is regarding your sexual orientation. Yes, well, you know, I am, uh, I was born in 44, so I am 72 years of age at, as we speak at this moment. And uh, of course, the question has, you know, comes up often, aren't you married? How many children do you have? <gasps> Why aren't you married? So it's, um, how you say, it, it's the usual thing for a person to be married and have children or grandchildren, etc. And no more, uh, no more in like when I am in visiting in Amman in Jordan, that is, oh, my God, why, why, etc., etc. <laughs> um, and I really don't mention it uh, in being in the dance world. You know, it's, it's it's not anything that's usual or unusual. It's just what life is. Being in New York is the same thing. But uh, I am gay. I have my partner. His name is Otto. Uh, he is German, was German. And uh, we met here in New York City in 1974. And so we've been together for 42 plus years. And so I am very, very proud of the fact. So although I am not married in the conventional sense, and now I can also say we are not married in a, in a from the uh, gay sense. You know, we are just partners in life. Yes, that uh, that I am very, very happy and very attached to someone, and I am not ashamed of it. And and funny enough, this is the uh, first time that I am speaking it out loud in a public way uh, for so to your audience, to so many people all at one time. But um, I am. I do say this in the book. I am thankful to to my partner, to Otto, for uh, sharing my life, sharing his life, sharing our lives together. And I'm very, very happy. And the wonderful thing, I think even more so, and this is where I hope it would be inspiring to other uh, people who might be gay, is that to be inspired by not being afraid of it, you know, but just be yourself. Yeah, one has to be happy in life. One has to be happy. One has to 
remind oneself and just move forward. It is, it's, 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 it's okay. Nothing is wrong with it from my point of view. Because it's one thing, uh, Pierre, to say, you know, uh, uh, that uh, within the dance uh, scene in New York or in the West, you know, talking about being gay uh, is, is not such a uh, difficult thing. Uh, but uh, it's a very different context when you talk about uh, you being in Jordan, being sort of, you've been on Arabic TV, you've been a judge on the Arabic version of uh, So You Think You Can Dance, you've been a guest judge on the Arabic version of uh, Dancing with the Stars and such. And so in a way, you've been appropriated into the Arab world. And your uh, decision to come out in the book, you know, I'm wondering if that in any way incurred or caused any kind of uh, difficult reaction by some of your Arab fans. Well, I don't know, because I don't know all of the fans personally, but... uh uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, Ramsey, I never talk about it to people. They either know or they don't know. And uh, if they want to know, I will tell them. As a matter of fact, I did, I met a few, as you say, in Arabic Shabab a while ago, uh, like four years ago in Jordan, in Amman, and who are like 25, 26 years old, wonderful young men, you know. And I invited them, like I think there were four or five of them that I got to know through other friends. So they came over. We had tea. We don't serve anything else there, tea or coffee. Look, I told them, look, first of all, I want you to know, you know, I am not after any one of you. I am gay. So that was another time within a four, small circle. I wanted them to know. And I'm still friends with them. They're 30, 30, 31, 32 years old now. And we are still friends. So um, I think what, I, what I'm really trying to say, I suppose, is be honest with yourself. Be honest to people around you. If by any chance they, uh, they disapprove, then they're not your friends. Because uh, as long as there is respect between you and that person, it's, uh, it should be okay. If it doesn't, then it's also okay. And again, I'm, I really don't mean it uh, the way it's coming out, but there are many more fishes in the sea than ever came out. There are many friends that you can have that you don't have to hang around with people who don't necessarily approve of you. But it is not easy. If I lived in the Middle East, if I lived in Jordan or even in Lebanon where things are a little bit more open, but even now Jordan is very, very open. There are many, many, uh, I find many people who are freer and able to be free in their lives. I don't think homosexuality is as open. Of course, I know it isn't as open as it might be in the West, in New York City or in Los Angeles or San Francisco or all over America. But it is it, it is getting there. So I'm not ashamed of it for sure. Uh, Pierre, without uh, you know naming any names, obviously, and since you said you know this is the first time you're speaking publicly about this, which uh, is truly an honor for us at the Arabaldi Show, but the fact that you also haven't really kept it a secret within your circle of friends and uh, and and acquaintances i'm wondering has there been any instances perhaps where as a result of you coming out as a result of you saying yes i am half palestinian and i am gay and i am happy uh, have you encountered any people who might have been empowered by that do you feel that maybe such a statement on your on your behalf may have uh, helped someone who is gay and closeted and living in uh, the arab world um I don't know I can say yes for a start, but I have become friend or friendly, I should say, with a few people from the uh, from the TV show that I've kept in contact with. And I'm trying to help them also in believing in themselves. 
there's there's a person in uh, in Khalil in Hebron that I'm trying to help. Uh, another person, a couple of people in Syria, uh, etc. So um, I think just talking to them and giving them the confidence to be themselves, I would say, is more helpful than not. Hmm. I have not encountered anybody uh, anybody else per se that I can think of just straight off like that other than those a few, ses- a few um, situations. Because you're going against uh, two stereotypes here, especially uh, stereotypes that uh, may not be necessarily positive in the Arab world. One is being a dancer for a male is, is already difficult enough, and then being a gay male dancer for Perhaps, gives you and marginalizes you even further. What would be your advice, Pierre Dulin, to perhaps people who are listening to us who may, whether they're gay or straight, young people who want to go into the world of dance and who are Arabs and living in the, the Arab world, what would be your advice to them and how to cope? I think, first and foremost, become the best person, the best dancer you can ever be become the very, very best, because that will give you the confidence to grow out of any other fears. So be good at what you do. Be the best that you can be. So be a dancer and be proud of it and let people know it's when it's when one shies away from it that people think twice about it. But if you would walk in and in a conversation, you don't have to be tralaling along, you know, in a crowd or dancing around <laughs> in the middle of people to tell them you're a dancer, but, but speak positively about yourself with confidence. You ask a dancer and if something else comes up oh yes of course so what and let that be the the confident making thing just be yourself and become good at whatever you do Pierre Duden you never cease to amaze us here and uh, your your compassion and your uh, your eagerness to help others and uh, through dance and through your life journey is documented so beautifully in the book Taking the Lead Memoir of a Dancing Life the author of course is Pierre Dulain and the book is available for sale. I mean, I guess you're even offering autographs, copies at pierredulaine.org. Definitely one of the best books that I have read of late of a man whose journey continues to inspire. I'm going to uh, leave you with one question, Pierre. What is next for you? And not to be morbid, honestly, Ramsey, honestly, but uh, I hope to live for a while. But I'm honestly ready to move on, to pass, I'm you know, sorry. meaning that I've done everything I want to do. There's nothing much more I had the films I've had the company the wonderful thing if I may say that at the if I I'll just give away the book at the very end is that of this old Greek proverb that says you know you grow trees you grow the seeds but I will never see I will never be able to sit under the shades of those trees that I have sowed and for that I'm very very grateful because I think dancing classrooms the work with the children will grow on will go and grow and uh, so, you know, well past me. So I am really very, very blessed, Ramsey, to, to have done the book, to have done the classrooms, uh, dancing classrooms. And uh, yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy. I think your journey is far from over as we need you and we need your voice and your talent during uh, difficult times, uh, such as the ones we're going through in the Middle East. Please keep on uh, inspiring, keep on writing, Pierre Judain, and keep in touch with us here at the Arab Show. Thank you very, very, very much. It's my pleasure to be with you again, Ramsey. Thank you and have a good time yourself also. All the best to you.